And nothing else, I, I've never experienced anything other than ballet that has been able to just take my busy mind, that just my mind that just goes at a hundred miles per hour all the time and just silence it completely. And just, just be in now and be in the present and in the music and in the connection to my body. And that was very a very spiritual thing for me. And I, I, the sec, like right after that class, I was like, oh my God, I've got to go back tomorrow. Hello, beautiful ballerinas, parents of ballerinas, lovers of ballet, and everyone in between. I am Georgia Canning, the host of this podcast and founder of Balance Ballerinas at Large. I drop new episodes of the pod every second Sunday and have recently been very regularly sharing vlogs or tips on my YouTube channel every other Thursday. So make sure you head over there and hit subscribe. And as always, you can catch me on Instagram at The Balance Ballerina. I love hearing from listeners of the pod and post pretty regular content over there. So head on over. Now, I hope you're all well and I hope that you are looking after yourselves. I feel like some parts of the world are currently thriving at the moment, whilst others are sort of, I guess, dipping in and out of this new COVID normal with lockdowns and mask wearing. Oh, it's just a lot, isn't it? And if you're feeling a little anxious every now and then, like me, I hope you find some solace at the bar, wherever that might be, at home or in the studio. Now, this week, I have a beautiful conversation with an even more beautiful soul, Margot Halleck. This is the identity behind the famous Point Brush account on Instagram. And yes, Margot was named after Margot Fontaine. With a name like that, you just have to dive into the world of ballet. But as you'll find out during our conversation, ballet wasn't always on Margot's radar. And while she dances as a child, she has developed an even deeper passion for ballet as an adult. Besides being the face behind Point Brush, Margot is a designer and a dancer living in New Jersey. She actually started Point Brush as a side project and an outlet to hone her skills as an illustrator and painter. Margot graduated from Parsons School of Design with a degree in communication design, and she went on to work at several large design firms before starting her own design business with her husband. Margot so generously shares some very personal losses and heartaches whilst we explore the concept of healing at the bar. And Although these are some heavy topics, I promise the conversation is as colourful as her watercolours moving from business to pleasure and paint to lipstick. I want you to pour yourself a cup of tea for this one, add a biscuit if that's your thing, and I want you to just sit back and relax and enjoy a conversation all about art, all about ballet, all the things that our audience collectively loves. Welcome to the Balanced Ballerinas podcast, Margot. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. I have been so excited to talk to you. I'm really excited to, to talk with you, Georgia, and just discuss ballet, which I love so much. And art. You are an artist after all, an entrepreneur, a dancer, a, yeah. mom, a founder, and you're the illustrator of Point Brush. So I'm, so, I'm sure that 
many followers of Balance Ballerinas um, follow your account on Instagram Point Brush, which is just the most beautiful thing I've ever seen on Instagram. I actually showed my mum yesterday. She goes, who have you got upcoming on the podcast? And I was like, well, you will love this one. And I showed her your your account and she was like, oh, this is so beautiful. (laughs) She's like, oh, thank you. Oh, she just thinks that you're so talented. So I wanted to start right back at the start. You were born in Hong Kong. Your mum's Philippine. Yes. And your dad is French. Um, Yeah, you grew up in Hong Kong and you began ballet at three. So what do you, I know it's hard to remember when you were three years old, but what do you remember of that time? Well, I remember that, well, my mom, first of all, was a dancer. She was, she was not a professional dancer, but she um, was serious. She was serious like I'm serious now, which is kind of interesting. And um, she actually named me after Margot Fontaine. So clearly she asked that. Yeah. <laughs> she actually told me like, you know, many years later, she's like, it was either going to be Margot or Giselle, you know, <laughs> and, um, and it was Margot. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, you know, immediately she put me into ballet classes and it was really nothing, you know, at three years old, what do you really do? Right. <laughs> Wave the, um, you know, scarves around and that kind of thing. But um at that age, I, I really loved it. And I, I do remember, you know, I do have really fond memories of being in the studio and what that was like in, in, um, at that, t- that period of time. And, um, and yeah, I mean, you know, I, I continued ballet um, recreationally until I was about 12 or 13. Um, at first, it was really just like these, this very small studio operated by a lovely British lady, uh, an elderly British lady who was just very you know, like a magical lady. Um, and then later on, we transferred to a more serious um, academic school where things kind of got a lot more intense, <laughs> as they do in ballet when you reach a certain age. And um Around that time, I, I, it was something that I, that, that level of seriousness was not one that I felt like I wanted to go into in terms of my career. And uh, I, I eventually quit, which um, just now looking back, I'm like, why did I do that? But, you know, it was, I think, you know, some, sometimes things are a blessing in disguise. And I'm, I'm really glad I was able to rediscover ballet later on as an adult. So how did you, um, what age were you when you quit? Uh, 12 or 13 I think probably about 13 yeah that's one of the things that I'm sort of on a bit of a mission to change as you would know being a listener of the pod that that I um I really hate when students get to that sort of 12 13 14 year age and their teachers make it I mean it's important to be taking your craft seriously but not so seriously that it takes the love and the enjoyment out of it and I think one of the great things about Um, my teenagers that I teach is that they actually see the adults that I teach too. So they see that there is life beyond, I guess, just being a a professional ballerina that you can enjoy it as an, an adult. And what I love so much about you and following you is that you have this absolute love oozing out of you for adult ballet and just the enjoyment of practicing for yourself, um, which is awesome. But I wanted to ask you before we get into all your adult ballet journey, because we've we've got a few steps to cross first. um, Have you always loved to paint and draw? Like, was that a little one? Yeah, yeah. It was was something that, you know, I guess, you know, the same thing probably is true for a lot of professionals in a lot of different fields, including dancers, where it's like, 
I just never remember a time in my life where I just didn't have a pencil or a you know paintbrush glued to my hand. It was like my parents used to tell me, no matter where you we went in the world, Margot, if we traveled or we you know we did you know went to restaurants or all we needed to do was give you a box of crayons and you could be at the table just drawing until like two a.m. You know, and it was just something that I never had a doubt in my mind that it, I wanted to do anything other than use. Um, visual art as a way of making a living sometime so, so, you know sometime in my life yeah it's funny and yeah. I think a lot of people would argue that oh well all little children paint and draw and, and create but I don't think they do there's some kids that you can put a crown in their hand and they're like oh, and they'd rather eat it um <laughs> that's my son <laughs> that's my son yeah yeah no, when I was really. trying to think back to when I was younger and I certainly loved art, I, I did art when I was in school, but I actually wasn't very good at it. <laughs> like I was not very good at it. And so I, I liked just enjoying it and watching other people, you know, do their art. And I think I liked just being in the classroom of an art classroom. So, yeah, no, it's, um, it's funny I- how these passions are really built into us as little ones. Well, I feel like there's something really interesting about just the whole I, I'm I'm very fascinated by the by the the premise that somebody can be like just naturally gifted at something. And it's something that I hear a lot from people saying like, oh, well, I'm not naturally creative or I'm not a natural artist. And the truth, I mean, I very much believe that it's you don't just you're un, unless you're like one of the very, very few, like the the geniuses, you know, that are born, you know, like Leonardo da Vinci, you know, like Picasso. Yeah. Most people, it's just you might have an upper hand at being maybe slightly better than other people when you're younger, but at some point that natural talent just tapers off and it just ends up being how much work you put into it. Yeah. So even if like, you know, you, you were to say, oh, I, I can only draw a stick figure. Well, I've seen people who are only able to draw stick figures develop into the most incredible artists. And, and it, it, I don't think that a natural talent that you're born with is so overrated. It's so overrated. <laughs> and it's just practice, isn't it? Yeah. It is practice. Even in in ballet, it's like you have people with incredible bodies and, you know, and yes, that'll get you so far, but at some point there's the spirit of the artist inside and there's just how much work you're willing to put into it to make it come, make it sort of get to the next level. 100%. In 2001, you were accepted into Parsons School of Design in New York City. So how old yeah. were you? How did that feel? Was that a goal you'd always set for yourself? Um, I wasn't so particular about exactly what school I wanted to go to. I, I just, I knew I wanted to go to a design school because I, I knew that my vocation in life was to do something creative and artistic and, and what that was going to be. I didn't know yet at that point in time. But um, yeah, when I was, when I was uh, accepted to Parsons, I always, I was always drawn to New York City because as somebody who grew up not being from Hong Kong, like I was from a mixed racial sort of background and I was not Chinese. I didn't, you know, I, I was, I was living kind of an expatriate life in Hong Kong. And so there's sometimes a feel of never really belonging anywhere when you're sort of like a little bit of an outsider and New York city spoke to me because I feel like it's just such a melting pot. Like there's, what is a New Yorker? You know, it, it's just, it means so many different things and to so many different people. And, um, and there's just this, this uh, drive that everybody has towards like that common goal of sort of figuring out the next level in your career and where, where you're going to go. So I was, I was very drawn to New York city for that, for that reason of just feeling like I fit in with all the people who don't fit in. <laughs> 
And, um, and so, yeah, when I, I left uh, for New York when I was 17 years old, I didn't know anybody in the, in the United States at all. I just sort of packed my bags. I went with my mom for, and she stayed with me for about a week. And then um, one month into my uh, school year, uh, September 11th happened. And that was a huge shock. I mean, obviously to the entire world, it was a huge shock. But for me, it was um, just being alone there and in the city where that happened, uh, it was just sort of, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I was having doubts as to whether or not to stay or whether to come home, but somehow maybe it's the stubborn side of me who was like, no, 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 I, I just, I have to keep going. This is really what I want to be doing. And um you can't let, you know, evil win, you know, <laughs> you, you have to get on with your life. Yeah. Wow. I, I didn't know that. That would have been very intense. And especially not having your parents or any sort of support system around, that would have been incredibly scary. I, I just, I sort of remember being in Australia, obviously, when that happened and it felt like the world was crumbling. I can't even imagine yeah. what that would have felt like actually being at the epicenter of that. Yeah, we, I mean, we, my school actually has the building um, where I was in, or you know, the, the classroom at 9 a.m. Where, where, when it happened was facing south. So I actually saw it like live out of the window. Like it was, you know, it, it was just, I mean, it, that, that kind of stuff just gets burned into your memory forever. I mean, it's just, you know, how could that, something, something like that happen? And at the age of 17, when just, you know, you really, your sense of like what can really happen in the world and what can go wrong is just, you're not prepared for that. No. Um, but um, but there's no other way, you know. You, there's no way around it. You just you survive. You you keep you keep going no matter what. You certainly do. Well, speaking of, you graduated with a degree in graphic design, and you landed a corporate job designing for <laughs> some pretty big brands. Are you allowed to say yeah. who some of the big brands were? And yeah, what? yeah. I mean, I you know, um, let me let me think. So uh, I, I was actually known as sort of somewhat of a liquor queen. So I used to do a lot of like the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like um. Smirnoff, Bacardi, Bombay Tanqueray, like, you know, I was known as the spirits and spirits and, and hard liquor person. You're the party girl. Really yeah, I was. I had you know, line, bottles upon bottles lined up at my desk at any given time. But um, yeah, I, I, I was doing packaging uh, for these, you know, global Fortune 500 companies, you know, things that, you know, I, I especially coming out of school, you know, where at, at that point in time, I was just, everything was such a it was so overwhelmingly uh just overwhelming in general you know to just see to, to have your 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 art and what you're creating be part of something that is touching so many different people's lives and, and being distributed globally um it was really it was it was amazing i mean it was a lot of work though i mean the, the whole co corporate world of working at a at a branding agency in new york city was just you know, you were kind of expected to be on call 24 seven, just, you know, to, to put in late nights to, you know, to grind it out. And, um, and I, I'm glad I put in the time and I'm, I'm glad that I did that because it really, I mean, there's no other school doesn't prepare you for what happens when you reach the real world. And so that was just sort of like graduation. Okay. Can you sink or, or are you going to sink? Or are you going to swim? And, uh, and it was, yeah, I mean, those, those first couple of years was just survive. <laughs> and so, can you share with the listeners then what sort of happened um, in regards to your exit from that sort of world? Yeah, so um, I was sort of moving up the, the, the corporate ladder, so to speak, and sort of getting more senior responsibilities and, you know, our direction and that kind of thing. And around the same time, um, 
Well, two things happened. So my my brother got very, very ill. Uh, he was about 20, well, 19 when he was first diagnosed. So that happened. And then also at the, at around the same time, I also lost my job due to the um, the economic, uh, basically that, that the housing, is it the housing crash? Well, uh, economic troubles around that time. And a lot of people were losing their jobs and everything was just in a lot of disarray around that time. And both my husband and I um, both lost our jobs, which was really, really scary because we were, um, you know, it was, there was sort of like no, no safety net. I mean, we had to really just figure out a way to make ends meet. Wow. And I, um, you met your husband and you, you married in Brooklyn. Yes. um, I was going to ask, was this after or before your brother passed away? We got married after he passed away. Uh, we were actually we were originally supposed to get married a little bit earlier, um, but because he was so sick, um, we just we had to postpone it. There was just no way. And um, he was he had a, a brain tumor. So in, it was very, very difficult, not just I mean, for him, for him, obviously, but for the entire family, because of the whole physical um, aspect of it, of just being able to just losing all of your um, motor skills and speaking. And it was very, very, very difficult. It was a, a very, very difficult, traumatic time for my entire family wow I um I'm so sorry I have a brother myself and and I I don't even know what I would do if he wasn't around it's just it's just really sad and I'm so sorry to hear about that when you shared that on Instagram and then I reached out and said that I wanted to share you know your story because there's it's you always follow someone on Instagram like yourself and everything looks so beautiful and so pretty and so light and then when you shared that, it just reminds you that there's such depth to each and every person that you do follow on these platforms. And there is a story behind what they do and why they do it. And, and um, I'm just glad we get to share it today. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's true that like a lot of times on social media, everybody's showing, I mean, nobody's showing the failures, no one's showing the grief, or no one's showing the hard, hard moments. But we, we all go through them. It's part of growing up. It's part of being a human being. It's it's part of being a, a normal person. And so, you know, sometimes I get very uh, discouraged when I see just like this gloss or this lacquer of like, you know, everything's happy when, you know, and yes, there, we, there are a lot of happy moments and we should embrace them. I love those happy moments. But um, I, I sometimes worry about, especially younger people, seeing that and just thinking that like something must be wrong with me if you know my life is rainbows and 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 puppies all the time it's because it's not it's not no it's not I um and and the the important thing and what's part of your narrative now is that is that from hardships and from sometimes deep sadness in our life the most beautiful opportunities and the most beautiful events can arise and one of those was that due to the um, uh, economical crash, you decided to start your own company together, you and your yeah. husband, um, luxury wedding invitations, which I actually didn't know until you <sighs> shared that little story. And I felt, and I had a look and I was like, Oh my gosh, I was like, this is incredible. You've built the most amazing business. You make wedding invitations for very, some very famous people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the wedding invitation business actually just started after we got uh, engaged and we were we started on the, the process of planning our wedding. And, you know, when I was looking for invitations, because I'm such a creative person, I was very 
picky and I was very specific <laughs> about what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. And so I was like, you know, nothing, you know, and at that time, wedding invitations were the kind of thing where you just go to a store and you pick up, you pick something out of the book and it's just like, do you want font A or font B? Do you want it in blue or do you want it in <laughs> yellow? And to me, I was like, no, 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 I, I want this to be, you know, to, to completely reflect our personalities. I want it to feel like it's going to be in a botanical garden and, and which it, our wedding was at a botanical garden. And so I wanted it to have our personalities and I wanted it to feel very special and to be printed on beautiful papers and, um, and nobody was doing that. Um, and so I saw, an op- or we saw, uh, an opportunity in the marketplace to, to do something different and to offer something that nobody else was offering. And that's kind of how that business was born. Yeah, you would have been sitting there going, I'll create my own font. <laughs> I don't want Yes, yeah, right. I want custom <laughs> font. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Amazing. And so... And that and that business still runs very solidly today. And so, how how um, how does that work with your husband? So obviously, you're the creative side. Does what part of the business does he take care of? So he takes care of everything I am terrible and lousy at, which is um, we're like the yin, yin and yang kind of where, you know, I do all the creative and then he does all everything that's logistics, finances, taxes, all the things that I think about and just shudder at the thought of. <laughs> so, you know, all, all those things. And, and it's in a business that side is very is the most unglamorous side. And yet it's the most important side. Yes, because there's so many creatives. Yeah, there's so many creatives. And even in the dance business, um, in regards to perhaps owning a studio or being a teacher, I mean, sometimes I've come across uh, freelance teachers who are the most incredible teachers, but they're shocking at just sending you an invoice to pay. And I think this is why you're not getting paid because you need to do the business side of your of your business, they don't view themselves as a business. And sometimes, especially if you're a freelance creative, you may not be able to afford to have a business partner that can take care of all that stuff Mm -hmm. for you. I'm a bit like you. I'm super (laughs) blessed to have my mum who takes care of all my financials, our books, our bookkeeping. I don't don't even know. Like, I don't even know what I'm talking about right now, but I know that she's (laughs) taking care of all of it. And I am then free to be the best teacher I can be and do fun things like podcasting and creative. And I love all our marketing and stuff, but I'm like you, that stuff just goes over my head. <laughs> well, yeah. And you know, artists are the, the worst in terms of being able to value their own work. And it's like, you know, if it was up to me, I'd just be giving everything away for free because, you know, I just feel bad, you know, and it's like, it's taken a while to just be like, no, no, you know, I I'm worth my time or, you know, and, and, um, and I think all artists, by the way, whether you're a dancer, creative, any, any, any artist from any walk of life, it's like you are valuable no matter what, no matter what level you're at in your career, your time is valuable. Definitely. Definitely. I, um, I wanted to bring our conversation into a space where I've actually experienced this myself with my clients where they've gone through a period of grief and they've actually used ballet to bring them out of that grief or they've just found, you know, or stumbled across ballet again as an adult, but it's actually more common that that happens when someone's actually going through hardship. And um, in 2019, 
you also suffered another loss and you said that ballet really helped you through. So I wanted to sort of talk about and explore how you ended up back in the ballet world and how Mm. perhaps, you know, how we were talking before, going through grief can actually sometimes be a blessing in disguise. Yeah, I, I mean, when I came back to ballet for the first time, which it was after, it was after maybe a couple of years after my brother passed away, and I was still processing that. And after my brother passed away, there was also a period of time where things were very difficult with my my entire family, and that I hear that that op- that happens quite often when you know a ve- you know a member of the family passes away, and it just kind of sends everybody into this spiral of. Of, of grief and unhappiness and nobody really knows what to do with, with that grief. And so um, I was in a really, really dark place and I didn't know what to, I didn't know where to put all that energy. I mean, I was, you know, I've always been physically active, you know, I've always sort of gone to the gym or done something that was, you know, just to keep myself healthy. But um, what happened around that time period was, I actually saw a documentary on TV, uh, the documentary Ballerina. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it. It's with it's documenting uh, Svetlana Zakharova and um, Liana Lopatkina and a bunch of other stars from the <laughs> Russian ballet. It's amazing a documentary. It's so beautiful. And when I was watching that, I was just blown away by by just the beauty of what they were doing and the and the movement and and the music. And I'm a very I'm somebody who's very easily moved by by music. It gets me very into a specific frame of mind or just uh, I respond a lot to music even when I'm creating something visual not not necessarily dance and when I saw that documentary I was like wow you know I remember when I used to do I used to move like this when I was a child and I was taking classes you know ballet class and that was really I want to do that again or I want to try that again because you know I'm so moved by this I think they were playing a lot of Tchaikovsky and and, um, I you know it, it was yeah, I, I just, I, I wanted to move to that again. And so I signed up for my first ballet class. And there was just something about going back to the studio and nothing else, I, I've never experienced anything other than ballet that has been able to just take my busy mind, that just my mind that just goes at a hundred miles per hour all the time and just silence it completely. And just, just be in now and be in the present and in the music and in the connection to my body. And that was very, a very spiritual thing for me. And I, I the sec, like right after that class, I was like, oh my God, I've got to go back tomorrow. You know, this, and it was, I don't want to say it was like an addiction because that has a negative connotation, but it was like this sort of freeing of my, of, of being able to escape that nobody or nothing could get, get in my, in my head um, for that one and a half hours that I was in the studio. Um, even yoga, actually, <laughs> I used to take yoga. Like, I, 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 maybe my mind is just so busy <laughs> that nothing can silence it. But, but I've never ballet is really the only thing that has really that, that can get me in that headspace that I'm just in another world. That's one thing that I do miss is having the opportunity to actually take class myself. I know mm-hmm. that when I'm teaching, it's very similar teaching a ballet class for me, especially an adult ballet class where it's open exercises and I have to think about the content a lot more when I'm taking younger students and we're doing ballet exam work. It's so ingrained in my brain that I, I can actually think about other things. Um, but 
I wish I know exactly what you're talking about. And it's something that is so, you put it so beautiful and eloquently, but it's something that is so difficult to explain to someone that hasn't taken a ballet class in that way. Um, I always say that ballet is one of those things and probably one of the only things that can simultaneously heal both your mind and your body at the same time. I'm sure that there's other things that that do that for people, but I just know from experience, especially friends, and I've told this story before, I have a, a beautiful friend who lost a child really, really young, and she just showed up to ballet class one day and she goes, hi, I can't talk, but I'm here to do class. Is that okay? And I was like, of course, go through, you know, take a spot at the bar. And she did that for about three weeks and she's a ballet teacher as well, but she just needed to come and do class and switch off and just heal, you know, and I've had another friend when he broke up with his partner and he said, can I come and do class? And I'm like, of course. And for a few weeks there, you know, that's, he's a ballet teacher as well. And he just needed to come do class himself. And I mean, I'm pretty lucky. I haven't gone through any massive heartbreak, you know, in the last few years. And, but I know that if that happened, I would love to turn back to the bar and have that opportunity. Um, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's, it's, um, it's so difficult to explain to an outsider though, isn't it? It's so hard to describe. I mean, it's just really, it's like your spirit gets to be somewhere else. It's like a, a out of body in a way. It's, it's, and maybe it's also because of the, the high level of technical difficulty that also just really forces you to, you know, focus in like a laser beam to exactly where you are in your body at that time. But there, there is no margin for, for error and, and being somewhere else because you, you just can't. You, you can't multitask on that level when you're doing something that is so devilishly difficult. Yeah. What was that first ballet class like? And did you go back the next day? What was the room like? I know that I know that adult ballet oh. classes look so differently across the world. So what kind yeah. of well, the first school that I went back to was actually a very it was I just chose it because it was geographically speaking the closest one to where I lived. And it was a Russian, um, it was called the Dokudovsky, I don't, I'm butchering this. I don't know how you say this. Dokudovsky School of Classical Ballet. And it was the kind of, uh, and this probably also contributed to it, where it was like this room was completely wood paneled from floor to ceiling with this like opulent wood. And and honestly, I don't know how long that building must have been there. Um, They actually got got knocked knocked down about a year into when I was taking classes there. And that's, that's when I switched to different school. But um, that was also the kind of thing where it's like, it felt like you were sort of transported to like Soviet Russia for a second. (laughs) It was um, the the smell of the wood and, you know, they had a live pianist and and that's something that I I just love. I mean, live accompaniment. um, It's such something that is, uh, you're spoiled when you get it regularly. I'll just say that. Uh, And, uh, and, and everything about it, there's this aura of like, you know, it's like being, in a different time, a time period. I um, I love watching you take class at the moment on Instagram. <laughs> I have oh, to no. ask. I have no. I love it so much. I have to ask. <laughs> how much bloody space do you have on your phone, though? I run out of space on my phone all the time taking 
photos and videos of my classes and my students do you delete them like I'm actually just this is such an Instagram question do you (laughs) you take your videos of yourself doing class and then do you just post what you want and then delete it right away or do you just keep them all and have massive storage that you pay for no 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 I, I I basically what I do is I only I only turn the camera on for certain exercises I, I I won't do the full thing through usually I'll do what it is I'm looking to just improve on at that moment in time so you know Monday I'll be like okay today I really want to like try to do tondus really really well and you know another day it'll be another exercise and um what I, whatever I don't like I just delete and I I, I really I, I don't like the idea of keeping something that I hate uh, <laughs> I don't like looking at myself looking terrible. Um, so if I don't like it, then I'll just delete it. And I'll keep the stuff that I like because it's so mental, especially when you're an, as, as an adult. You know, you, you, it's so easy to kind of let the, the evil troll on your shoulder, you know, kind of, you know, bring you down, bring you down if you, you're, you're looking at footage of yourself looking in your mind like horrible. So I, I'm very much into like, you know, do whatever it is, whatever you can to make yourself feel good and, and better. Especially, I mean, if you're if you're trying to make progress, that that's great. And you know, if you do need to see the the things that you don't like, but if you don't like it, just delete that, delete it. <laughs> exactly. You're doing you're doing lots of classes at the moment um, at home because are you guys sort of still in? For those that are listening to this, perhaps in maybe I don't know. I'd like to think that someone listens to this in. 2031 day or something <laughs> we're going through COVID times and um it's the room that you're practicing in is that um like a spare room in your house or like a basement or it's a great it's, space. Uh, it's my it's a great space it's, it's my basement so my I, we're very very blessed to have a very large basement so um the second we we rent we started renting this house I was like that that's my that's my dance space no one no one's touching this um it does have concrete floors though so I have to be very very careful so I I, I don't jump on it or I, you know sometimes I'll, I'll squeeze something in but I, I try not to um but uh but I, I'm I am very very lucky to have uh such a large space to work in uh and uh yeah I mean it's something that I you know I try to come back to ballet or just doing my classes as regular as regularly as possible but like with a lot of people it's you know especially as being being a mom it's sometimes difficult to to manage my time and be able to to do everything that I want to do within the day whether it's you know the art that I do the the posting of of my ballet classes being a mom all that kind of stuff it's sometimes a little bit of a challenge I will say I love when your son pops into your videos. You're doing like a lovely run de jambe exercise and he'll just be like, hey, mom, here's some food. (laughs) He's very adorable. We haven't even touched on your point brush account Um, and you started it in 2015 with the first being of Catherine Morgan. What a great one. Yeah, I mean, she's just an exceptional human being, a dancer and human being, and just what she's been able to do for dancers, you know, on, on, on social media, on YouTube, and even, you know, face-to-face with her, her many, many students. I mean, she's really somebody that everybody should be looking up to in terms of role models in the ballet world. Definitely. Katie's um, a, a friend of the pod, which you are now too, Margot. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and yeah, I just love everything she's doing. I really yeah. respect how 
honest and brave she is, it's very, very difficult to speak out in our industry. And a lot of people don't realize that there are lots of repercussions, even myself. I think I'd be a little bit more outspoken about the things that happened to me in my pre-professional career if I didn't have a studio and lots of little ballerinas that wanted to get into certain programs. But yeah, I, I take my hat off to her. She's incredible. But so that was your first picture that you put up. Mm, yeah. When did you start sort of, well, I probably was around when you started adult ballet classes. Is that when you sort of thought, oh, I'm going to start painting some lovely ballerinas and point shoes? And when, how did that happen? Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, so around that time, I guess I was, you know, as, as we were discussing earlier, we were, I was doing a lot of corporate work. Yeah. And so when doing corporate work, a lot of times you're, you're basically on the computer. You're always on the computer. You're sort of, you know, the reason why I decided to become a visual artist was because I loved, as a child, I loved painting and drawing and doing all these skills with my hands and uh, being very hands-on. And as I became a professional uh, in the graphic design and, and creative world, that took me farther and farther away from what it was that I fell in love with to begin with. And so around that time, I, I decided, why don't I just start, you know, I'm going to buy my first paint set because at that time I didn't even have paints, believe it or not. And I was like, you know, why don't I just start doing some of this stuff for fun? Because it's been such a long time and I, and I really miss it. And I, you know, and then the second question was like, well, what should I, what should I draw? What should I paint? Like, I don't even know what to do. And then, you know, as with most things, you just start to gravitate towards what inspires you the most. And at that time, you know, ballet class was inspiring me a lot. And as ballet sort of starts to drag you back into its world, it you does. know, you start immersing. <laughs> I say to people, it's like the mafia, you know, like you, you, you never leave ballet. They never let you go. <laughs> it's part of you forever. <laughs> it certainly is. So, so I, I just started, um, you know, watching more documentaries and going to the theater more and, and that just sort of started to feed into what I started, what started coming out. And, and at that time, it was really like, I was not trying to make anything of it. It was just practice. It was like, let me just, I'm rusty at this. Let me just start um, doing stuff just so I can experiment with materials and, and um, mediums. So I was doing all sorts of different things from like pastels and, you know, just trying a lot of different things so that I could sort of get get inspired again and, and start getting my fingers dirty and, and doing you know the the artsy stuff that I used that I missed so much and uh as I as I started completing painting after painting I was like well what do I do with this like I just I have it sitting around and um Instagram was still fairly young at the time I mean there was it wasn't what it was it is today and so I was like, well, why don't I just start posting it? You know, if I, I, it's here. It's like, not like it's, it's just going to collect dust in, in a drawer. So why don't I take a picture and just share it? And, you know, if something comes of it, great. If not, then whatever. And, uh, and I, I also started tagging the dancers who were in the, in the paintings and uh, over time. And yeah, I mean, it was really, it was not for, for, for business, you know, for any, you know, uh, I wasn't trying to promote anything. It was really just, I was such a huge fan of those dancers. It was like when Stephen McRae, when I tagged him and he, you know, uh, Instagrammed me afterwards, it was like, oh my God. Like I felt, I felt the pieces. I was like, oh my God, Stephen McRae, re-Instagram re me, you know? And I, and I still get that feeling every single time, you know, a, a huge ballet star, uh, you know, re reposts my work. Cause I'm a, I'm a massive fan. I really am. 
Uh, so it just, it was really just me celebrating them. And as a result, they were kind of just featuring me and, and it just snowballed from there. But uh, at the root of it, I was, I, I, I was and, I, and still am just really passionate about it. I'm passionate about, about, about ballet, about dancers, about the whole world, really. I wanted you to describe ballet as a, you said it's a whole new life filled with new connections and new friends. What did you, what do you mean by that? I know what you mean, but for the listeners, what do you mean by that? I think the answer is sort of twofold. I mean, the ballet world or the dance world, first of all, is, is very small. Uh, everyone kind of has a first generation sort of connection to each other. And it's, it's amazing how um, it's, it's such a small community and yet it's such a supportive community. Like there, there's so many people looking to do a lot of good in, in, this, in the community of, of dance. Um, so that's one part of it. But second of all, there's this whole community of people on non-professional dancers or people who are, who are on Instagram, on social media, who are just really passionate about dance, kind of like myself. I would call us sort of like the outsiders or, you know, who are just really passionate, passionate about it. And more and more now, I think all these people are, are, are looking to get connected to one another and just participate in any way that they can, whether it's supporting brands that they love, um, artists they love, and just, you know, sort of, I, I think everybody is sort of solidifying um, the ballet community as a whole and just helping it move forward, in, I think, in a, in a good way. Uh, because I think ballet also has, has seen a lot of, has, has seen a lot of negative press and negative, has had a lot of like negative moments in history as well. I think we're still working through a lot of issues that are at the root of sort of ballet as an art form in general. Um, but I think all the people that I'm talking about in this, in this bigger community are working towards sort of making it a better, more welcoming com community for everybody. Um, I, I, I think there's a lot of hope and optimism on that end. No, I agree. And that's one reason why I love doing the podcast is because I simply just love connecting with fellow like-minded people that want to bring the best for this industry. And so that's why I'll continue to have these conversations because I just selfishly want to connect with all these people because yeah. sometimes I think too, I mean, as an, uh, as an artist yourself, you know, you're in your studio every day by yourself. Me as a teacher, I'm in my studio. It looks a bit different to yours though, <laughs> um, by myself. And I think a lot of the times artists in the dance world are left by themselves to their own devices. And so it can feel really lonely. And I remember, yeah, when, yeah. I remember when I opened, well, when I was even thinking about opening my business and starting down the path that I was starting, becoming a ballet teacher. And my parents said to me, are you sure, Georgia? Like, are you sure you don't want to, because I did a communications and marketing degree. And they said, are you sure you don't want to continue, you know, in the nice office you're in and have lots of friends and social things and Friday night drinks. And, you know, it's going to be a really lonely world if you're a, a freelancer or a, a entrepreneur or a business owner, um, you know, really think about this if that's something you want to do. And I think, the cause and the reason to why we want to do these things is such a massive force and a massive pull that there is no other option than, yes, this is what I want to do. But there are times where it can feel very lonely. And so mm, I think yeah. one, of the, one of the greatest things 
um, is connecting with people like yourself and all the other brilliant people I've connected with. And you have these conversations and you're reminded that, yes, you know, the path of positivity and the path of, of creating some more light-filled spaces in areas of this industry that can be a little bit darkened um, is just a nice reminder that you're on the right track. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it definitely does. And I think there's something about like meeting somebody or people that are that speak your language. It's like, you know, they always say like, oh, you know, be, the people who are part of your tribe, it's like they really get you. And sometimes I feel like people that I've never met, like on social media, you know, it's like sometimes I feel like they get me more than people that I really know in real life because we speak a similar language and we appreciate, you know, we just share such common interests in general that um, it, it's like you just you just feel so much more connected because they're, you know or, or they're, they're, they feel like deeper friendships sometimes because you just share so much in common with them in terms of your passions. Yeah, even just like talking before about healing at the bar, we were sort of looking at each other and I was probably hand gesturing quite a bit because I was like, yeah, if you're not in this world, you just don't understand. Like you don't understand how yeah. you know, doing bar can be. So yeah, it's funny um, that you said, you know, sharing common interests and having these friends on Instagram that you feel even closer to. It's so funny before we even jumped on Zoom together for the listeners, you and I have only been contacting each other via Instagram, really, and a couple of emails via text, no voice, no nothing. And yet I feel like... I jumped on Zoom and was like, oh, hey, Margot. Yeah, just another yeah, day. Yeah. And this is the first time we've ever actually officially met properly. And yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Like, I feel like friends for life already. <laughs> yeah, no, completely. So when I, when, I, when I come to Brisbane, then, you know, I know who to call. <laughs> you definitely do. You definitely do. You'll have to come take a, an adult ballet class with all my balance ballerinas here. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, it's terrifying. No, I'd put, <laughs> I'd put on an event if you were here. I'd be like... I'd be like, Margo from Point Brush is here <laughs> and we'd put on a oh. um, I wanted to I wanted to ask you about um, be- becoming a mum and being Balanced Ballerina's podcast, usually, you know, I finish off conversations by saying, you know, what is your number one tip for leading a balanced life? And I feel like you juggle so much. You, I, I feel like you get so much done in a day, you know, between being a mum and just doing your corporate work with the wedding invitations, but also your creative work with Point Brush. And what does a typical day look like for you? And how do you strike that balance? Well, I'll start by saying that there is no typical day. So yeah. that's the first thing kind of is, well, I guess, when you when you become an entrepreneur or a mom, because there's there's similar similarities between being an entrepreneur and a mom in a way that it's a responsibility that you can never uh, walk away from. So it'll, you know, it just, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's 24-7. Who is it that said this? I've never worked. You have to work 24-7, seven days a week to not work a 40-hour job. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, so there, there are similarities between the two. And I think part of where I've been able to strike a balance or, or as much balance, balance is the hardest thing to get in life, by the way, but um, is learning when to push and when to, when to pull back. And that's something that I'm still learning in terms of just being a mom as well is just, I think, in culture in general, there's this idea that it's just like, go, go, go all the time. And you are, 
that you, in order to be successful, it's just blood, sweat, and tears all the time. You have to grind and grind and grind. But once you start having a responsibility that is a larger responsibility, responsibility like a child or like say a business, your mental health and, and, and whether or not you as an individual are okay or not, there's a trickle down effect to your, to your business or your child. Meaning that if you force it nonstop, if you're just, you know, kind of pushing through it and on the hamster wheel and you're grinding and you're unhappy, there's going to be consequences down the line. And um, so for me, what that means as a, as a mom and as an entrepreneur, it means that one day I might be sitting at my desk trying as hard as I can to get a client email out. And my toddler is climbing up my leg going, mom, 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 you know, and I'll say five minutes, give me five minutes. And then, you know, but he just won't. He wants me right now. Margo from three years ago would have just been like, just trying to, trying as hard as I can to get that email out, even with that, you know, in the background, probably breaking down in tears and just being really miserable for the next probably four to five hours because I just couldn't do it because who can, right? Like you're one person and you have, you have your, um, you know, all your responsibilities and it's up to you to figure out which, which ones you can handle right now and which ones can wait. And in that period of time, when my son was going, mom, 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 work could wait. So he, I sat down, we did Legos for maybe 10 minutes. And then, you know what, after he was done, he didn't, he didn't come back for like the next 30 minutes. He, he needed me now. Yeah. And so sometimes you just need to know, it's like a juggling act, right? And it's like some, you have to know which balls will bounce back and which balls will break. And so, you know, and, and that's part of finding the balance, right? And, and it's, there's no, um, there's no one solution for it. I wish it could come, come and say, oh, well, there, this is what you need to do. It's really just listening to yourself at that moment of time, moment in time and saying, okay, what can wait and what can't? And what will, what, am I happy right now? Like, can I, can I, am I, am I in a place where it's a, like, I can, I can balance all this right now um, and still be centered in my own mind. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm just yeah. saying a lot of words. <laughs> No, no, I, I, I understand. Yeah. I even, um, when you said before that it's, you know, we've been sort of brought up on this culture of go, go, go and hustle, hustle. And for a period there, I feel like there was like a three to four year period of just hustle, hustle, hustle. And if you're not working 24 seven, then you don't deserve a business and you don't deserve, you know, success. And, and I did sort of buy into that. And it's really hard because we did have massive growth during that period, but at what cost? And, you know, I was pretty burnt out and I've made quite a few like significant changes this year. Um, For the first time ever, I have two days during the week where I don't actually teach. One day is um, just in the office doing administration for my business, which is a massive uh, just mental load off, you know, because it's very hard doing um, teaching, then jumping into admin, back to teaching some admin. It's, it's, it's exhausting to sort of try and get your brain switched on for each part of that, that day. And, um, yeah, so this year I have one day where I just do admin and I actually have Fridays off. I don't teach any admin, just have Fridays off. And that 
is so nice and I feel like I'm actually a better teacher too because on a Saturday, I mean, being a ballet teacher, it's pretty unavoidable, especially when you own a studio to, you know, you can't not work on a Saturday. I mean, I'm sure that there's people that are, but at the moment I haven't worked that one out. But I find that when I used to work on a Friday and then I'd come in on a Saturday, I was quite impatient and I was a little bit grumpy and I was like, oh, it's Saturday. And and now that I have Fridays off, I come in on a Saturday so refreshed and relaxed and I just smash out all my levels of ballet classes. I feel so much more calm and productive and the students are happier and and it's just proofs in the pudding. If you take care of yourself, yeah. everyone around you will be happy. And I, I think that also applies to not that I'm a mum yet, but the the same thing. So no, I completely understand what you're saying. It's so there's, true. There's definitely similarities. I think I think that yeah, I mean if at some point if you don't take care of yourself, then everybody else is going to be miserable. You know, through through your unhappiness. Mm-hmm. And uh and it's unfortunate also that there's like kind of this you know, this stigma of just like, if you're willing to, if you, if you need to take a break and you just step back, that it's like, it could be seen as being lazy or that you're not willing to put in the, the blood, sweat and tears. And, you know, there's, there still is a lot of that in general culture in, in ballet culture and in a lot of different places where, you know, and, and, and life is too short, you know, like, um, you're just living life for yourself and everything else around you is just noise because at the end of the day, we're all ending up in the same place at the end. I mean, it's terrible to think about it this way, but, but what you do and how happy you are right now in time is so much more important than what anybody else thinks of whether or not you have the right work ethic. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you know, just so morbid, Margot. I mean, that's fine. (laughs) Sorry. No, I'm going to lighten this up and I'm going to finish off on such, such a light note. I'm going to ask you, Uh I wanted to know from the Lipstick Queen, what are some of your (gasps) brand favourites? Oh, well, I have very... Yeah, for anyone that doesn't follow you yet, because after this episode they all will, um, you have the most amazing lipstick Every time I see you um, on in a photo or taking your class at home, I love also that you put lipstick on to take class um, at home. Uh, I love it. So what are your favorite brands? So, you know, it's, it's funny because it's like, it's less about a brand's thing, although I am, I am picky with my brands as well. It's really just finding the right shade for you. Like, I, you know, I feel like I could, I could look, you could have a very similar look in a L'Oreal from the drugstore as you would in a Chanel, which I own both, by the way. Um, but it really, with red lipstick or just lipstick in general, it's really about finding, you know, the right shade of color uh, for, for your for your skin tone. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, once you figure that out, then no matter what brand you pick up, you are going to look like a million bucks. Um, but I guess, okay, if, if I'm, you know, uh, if I'm forced to, to pick a favorite, I would say Chanel because it's there. There's something about just the pigment. You know, it's actually the same thing in paints as it, as it is for lipstick. Is the more expensive the um, the lipstick or the paint, the more pigment they put into it. So um, that's why, with for example, really high end lipstick, you just put one swipe on. You don't have to keep like layering it on to get that vibrancy. And it's actually the same thing with paints. It's like um, you pay expensive for the high pigment, then you don't have to keep dipping your brush in because oh. it's just, um, you know, one, one, one dab and it's like popping right off the page. Kind of get what you pay for, unfortunately. 
<laughs> love, I love that correlation that you just you just put in there between your painting and your lipstick. <laughs> what have you got on right now? I know listeners, unless I post this clip, won't see, but <laughs> it's beautiful. right now I'm wearing um, Charlotte Tilbury. Oh, it's beautiful. It's yeah, beautiful. she's gr- great line of lipsticks. Really, really great. So I recommend it. I love it. I find that lately I've been putting on lipstick, um, especially for my evening classes, because by the time I've done a full day of teaching, I just look a little bit shabby. <laughs> and as soon as I put lipstick on, for especially my adult ballet, my very last class of the, the night on a Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, I just a bit of lipstick and I feel like I'm fresh again and I look like I've put in some oh. Because I can oh, look completely. I, I can look like a mess after five hours of teaching before that happens. <laughs> it, it's really, it's really the best thing. It's like you know, yeah. you could just, you could literally wake up in the morning. Not, I mean, I'm not recommending this, by the way. But you could, you could just not shower, not brush your teeth, not do anything, not fix your hair, put on red lipstick, and you look like you took care of yourself. <laughs> uh, I, right. I'm learning this. I'm, I'm, I'm learning this, Margaret. Yeah. Anyway. I'm, <laughs> Thank you so much for giving up your time. And um, I've just really loved this conversation so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I really, um, it was a lot of fun. Oh, and before I forget, what what do you sometimes listen to, Margot? Was your painting? <laughs> well, um, well, I love listening to music, but when I'm not listening to music, I listen to you. I listen to the Ballast Ballerina podcast uh, and I love, um, (laughs) it's it's true. It's true. It's just, you know, I love how you dive in really deep with your, with your guests. And it's uh, sometimes it's really riveting. I'm just, you know, I have to put my painting on hold because I'm like, did she say what? (laughs) Oh, that makes me so happy when you told me that. that just, that just, oh, I just, I'm blushing. It makes me so happy when I hear that people actually listen. (laughs) Oh, it's the truth. I've been listening for years. Yeah. yeah, no, no, I've been listening for a while. I mean, I know people listen because of the stats, but, and when I get random, you know, because um, you get like a, a picture of the country, of the world, and it has all these light up channels of where they're, you know, where your listeners are from. And I'm like, what? There's someone in wow. Russia and people in Germany and people in Indonesia. And like, I'm like, wow, who are these people? And so I don't quite believe it. So when I actually hear it from someone or if someone messages me, I go, oh, wow, that's right. People actually listen. <laughs> So thank you so much. I, I'm honored that you listen whilst painting and doing your beautiful work. And where can oh, everyone absolutely. find you on Instagram? So we, you can find me at Point Br- my Instagram, which is Point Brush, um, or my um, website, which is Point Brush NYC. And it's point like the point shoe and then brush, like a paintbrush, which is the, uh, the story behind my, my brand name. Awesome. Thanks so much, Margot. You're most welcome, Georgia.